Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Man, do you sense the spirit this morning? God is good. His presence is here this morning with us. Hey, I, I want to just encourage you this morning. Um, that family service, I know all some of the parents are going, oh my gosh, you're bringing the kids. We are actually having service, including the kids in that. So you'll hear a little bit about that. We're not going to just say, take care of your kids in church. We're actually doing a, a service, including the kids in the actual service. And you'll see that all the ages will be involved. So don't be afraid. It's going to be a great family uh, moment together as a community. We really believe that the, ch- the kids and the families need to be together and see church together, modeled together, not just in children's area, but coming together so they can see that with their parents. It's, that's a really important aspect of their own growth and your own growth as parents. Amen? So it's going to be a great morning. I know we're doing the 23rd at a count to the 30th here. So um, I just want to just encourage the parents that don't panic. Oh, this is my time. You know what I mean? It's going to be our time together as a family, as a church community. Amen. Great, great. Hey, um, guys, I know the ladies are gathering on Mondays. I know the guys have been gathering through the weeks with the men's gathering. I want to encourage there's still openings for you to come be a part of that. Um, we had some great turnout this Wednesday for the men's gathering. We launched it this Wednesday, the home gatherings for six weeks. We just want to encourage you, if you haven't jumped in, jump in. Uh, it'll be a great time for you to grow and just kind of more of a, uh, uh, unplug time, really just hear quick word and just kind of have a lot of discussion. And then it's been a great fellowship time. So I want to encourage you that. We're continuing through the gospel of John. So open up John chapter 12. John chapter 12 this morning. Look at verse 11, verses 12, 1 through 11. You know, um, growing up, uh, my family always traditionally had um, a Christmas party. Like, this was something I do since I was small. Like, every Christmas, my parents, I mean, we would throw this party, and it was during the Christmas season, and all their friends and families would come. I mean, they knew it was like the 3rd December and Saturday. It was like a given. Everybody just already planned it the next year. And they come, and all your family and your friends come, and there's food, there's music, and it goes all night. And it's a great, great time to be together and have community. Uh, the other day, I was privileged to, to gather with some of the young people at, uh, at Christina's house. She just got back from furlough, and, and we were hanging up. Julie and I went over there. We were hanging out with the young adults. They were, were having a great time, and we're playing games like, like uh, w- would you rather games? What would you, would you rather? And we're making all these funny things, and we're just laughing. They're eating. They're, they're doing all these different things because we are created for that thing, to be in community, to be together, to, to break bread. That's exactly what you're seeing in the story in John chapter 12, right? You're seeing Jesus having an engagement at a dinner with Lazarus and Mary and and Martha and and the disciples and Simon the leper. They're they're having a dinner party. And my my message this morning is a dinner engagement with Jesus. They're having a a dinner engagement. What what do I mean by that? It it means that, that... Remember, where was Jesus? Jesus was in Bethlehem. He had just healed Lazarus from the dead in the previous chapter. We know that he goes to, to Bethlehem because they, what, there's a warrant put out on Jesus' arrest, right? Anybody knows where Jesus is because it's six days before the Passover, and they put a warrant out. So if you know where he is, tell us so we can seize him, so we can arrest him. And so we know that, that that's kind of what, so now he's coming, he's in Bethlehem, and now he's going back to Bethany 
in the evening to be with this family, right? And you're going to see ministry take place in this evening of engagement. You're going to see God's work being done. You're going to see God's worship being done. You're going to see God's witness being done. You're going to be seeing all these different things being played out in this one evening as we look at this significant gathering. I love that. I, I, I just love, you know what? Maybe I want to challenge you a little bit as we've been talking about this life on missions and ministry and, and bringing people to believe. Maybe you just need to throw a dinner party for your neighbors. Come on, God. Maybe you just need, because out of that relationship that you have with people in your neighborhood that really don't know Jesus, maybe they just need to be invited to get to know them. And maybe in the evening time, God might just do something supernatural because he does something supernatural in this evening. He, 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 there's worship going on. There's miracles going on. And there's even exposure to darkness going on. And there's witnessing going on. There's all this happening out of the ministry of this family. I want you to see this. As we're going to look at this family this morning, I want you to think in light of the family of God. So there's ministry from the family going out, but also think about this family and how ministry can go out from this family. And I want you to parallel them as we look at this morning because I think we can learn a lot by that. Turn to John chapter 12, 1 through 12. I want to read it, and then we'll, I went through 11, and we're going to read it and get into it. It says, Then the sixth day before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with a fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was the fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what he was to put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for this day for my burial. For the poor you'll have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest, priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray for this moment. Lord, we pray for this family that we're gathering this morning, that the Spirit would speak to us. Lord, speak. We need you now, Lord. We need you more than ever, Lord, this morning to speak to us. Father, to wash us with your spirit. Father, we need the power of your spirit to do your work. We can't do it on our own. We need you this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. We're going to look at a couple things this morning as we talk about this dinner engagement. As we talk about this party at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, because that's what it was. It was a dinner party. And Jesus was the invited guest of this. And it was the evening of giving thanks, first of all. I think it was the evening of giving thanks. Why do I say that? When somebody blesses you or does a special thing for you or gives you a birthday card or a graduation card, just out of your natural response is to say thank you. And we might write a thank you note or we might send something just to remind We I just acknowledge your, your generosity to acknowledge uh, and I want to thank you. Well, what had, what had just happened? Lazarus just raised from the dead, right? And then because he reacted raised, he had to kind of 
head out of town real quickly, and they didn't have a moment with Jesus. And so Jesus went to, to, to Bethlehem, and now he's coming back, and this is their time to honor him. This is their time to thank him. This is their time. So what is a better way than to throw an evening dinner party for Jesus in some sense? What a, what a better way to say we want to honor the man who resurrected the dead. We want to just bless him. You know what? There's all, if you look out throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always inviting people to eat or being invited to eat. And he always did ministry at the table. He always did ministry with people, in a, in, not in the church. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you read the book of Acts, more of the ministry was done outside the church than it was done inside the church. Because God's called us to be outside the church. He's called us to do that. But this evening is done in a home of a family that was blessed by him. And so they're going to have a dinner date with Jesus. That's what we see in verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who was, had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. I'll be cast this. Six days before the Passover. This is, this is the Passion Week. This is six days before Jesus dies on the cross. He's going to have, go to a dinner party. If you had six days left in your life and you knew you had six days left, what would you do? Maybe you might throw a dinner party and say, hey guys, I'm going to be here for the next six days. Or maybe some of you might be like, whoa, what am I going to do next season? Or where am I going? Or what is my purpose? There might be anxiety knowing that you have only six days to leave. Or you might be saying, I'm rejoicing. I'll be with God and sing. What would be your response? But Jesus' response was to be with his friends at this dinner party. We're halfway through the gospel of John. The first half was looking at who Jesus was in his ministry and his, in his, in his public ministry. But the last chapters, from chapter really 20, 12 all the way to 21 and closing, it's all about his final week of his life. So if you're following us, you're going to see we're getting into details of his final week of his life. But when we look at the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we find this three times that Jesus has an encounter. We often find Jesus going to their home on his way into Jerusalem. So he had a great relationship with his family. We see Lazarus many times here. We see him sick when here in the story. Why we find Lazarus being what resurrected in the in the story. And we find now Lazarus at the table with Jesus. In fact, he's the quiet type, Lazarus, in his personality. If you look closely at the story, we don't he never says anything. In all the stories, you look about this family. Lazarus does not utter one word. You see the words of Mary, you see the words of Martha, but Lazarus doesn't say anything. He's just a quiet guy, the quiet servant. Obviously, he talked. We just never see it written in Scripture, but he's the quiet type. There are some of you who love Jesus are just the quiet type, right? You're not much for words. You're much, but you're faithfully serving. You're faithfully helping. You're faithfully doing that. But we find this at the story. But Jesus returns to Bethany from Bethlehem to see his beloved friend, how his beloved friend is doing. I love, I love that about Jesus. He's checking up on the one he resurrected. He's checking up on the family because his family was mourning prior to, to the resurrection. There was a crowd of people mourning. It was a grieving time. Now their mourning is turning to joy. But Jesus has an aftercare program, right? Jesus, Jesus, 
when he touches people, he just doesn't say, okay, do them and you're done. God is not an absentee father. and He's, he's not absent from us. He, he, he wants to continue the work that he's doing and the healing that he's doing in us. And it also includes us to be a part of that. As we looked at the end of the story last week, when he, when he came out of the grave, all bound up and closed, he said, he told the disciples, unravel him. So we have a part in the healing finished product, but Jesus does too. And he's back at this dinner party, right? And he's coming to see his old friend and how he's doing. And what we find here is some movement in this family out of this home. We find Mary giving thanks through her acts of service, right? Through her. In this family, so you could, she's the serving one, okay? So the first thought is if you think about her and her family serving, think about this family and their service. I just want you to catch this here, the work that we do, right? Look at verse 2. Then there, there they made him a supper. Martha served, but Lazarus was, at, was one of those who sat at the table. Hmm. Just a few days earlier, Lazarus was at the tomb. Now we find him at a dinner date with Jesus, with his family and his friends. Lazarus is in the presence of Jesus, his healer, right? He doesn't stay much. He doesn't talk much, right? But I, I, I like to think a little bit, ask questions when I read the, the scriptures. Though we don't have him saying much at the table, but he's sitting at the table with Jesus. I believe Simon the leopard is because Matthew 16 says, gives us a clear picture because Matthew and Mark actually tell the same story, gives us a little bit more deal, says that they're actually in the house of Simon the leopard. We'll look at that in a moment. I believe Simon the leper is at the table also, most likely the disciples are there, Mary and Martha. There's actually 17 people at this party, if you think of it, if you want to count it, right? Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the disciples, Simon the leper, Jesus. That's about 17 people. Lazarus is at the table. He doesn't say much. But I'm sure the conversation probably went something like, dude, I was in heaven. I was dead, and this is what I experienced. I'm sure they're having a conversation about his experience, though we don't get that in the text. I would imagine if you've gone through experience, you're going to tell your friends, dude, they're going to they're ask you, what was it like on the other side? Is there life after death? Guys, ask those questions when you read the scriptures. Ask those things and say, what would that conversation be? Because there's a story about Paul the apostle in the book of Acts where he's preaching the gospel Right, And he gets stoned. And the Bible says, as if on death. Some believe that he actually died. And the scripture says that he went to the third heaven. He went to the third heaven. They believe that the sky is the first heaven. The outer limits, space is the second heaven. And heaven would be considered the third heaven. Okay, that's what the scriptures talk about. And so Paul dies and he goes to the third heaven. And then what is he? He comes back. He comes back alive after being stoned. And they're, he's blown away. And his own words, he said, there are things I've seen that I can't even express, he says. I, I saw the heavenlies and I can't even express. When, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus transformed into his spiritual body and there was, there was Elijah and Moses there, what was the response of Peter and James? They were like afraid and couldn't even speak. 
right? They were like, whoa, like this, because they got a glimpse into heaven. When John the apostle saw, got the word, saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, he said he fell on his face as, as if he was dead. I could only imagine, you know that song? I could only imagine when I see in the presence of Jesus what that will be. Right? And I'm sure they're having this conversation about heaven. And I'm sure they're dialoguing about that. And it must have been a crazy conversation. But Jesus is sitting with Lazarus and Simon the leper who healed of leprosy. Two miracles sitting at the table. Right? Together. The outcast. Right? Serving the 17 people. Mary's love language was service. Right? That was her love language. She just loved to serve. We find her doing that, right? She loved to do the work of the ministry. Hmm. Simon the leper, they're, they're, they're really having it at his house. Some believe that either Simon the leper was a friend or a relative of, of this family or might have even been Martha's husband. Some scholars think that that could have been the possibility. That's why they're having it at this home. And she's serving all of them. But I think that, you know, part of our progress as people of God is to grow in our faith and mature. That's part of our progress. And I think Martha's matured a little bit here. Let me, let me, let me tell you why. Because she learned a few things as she matured in the faith. You remember, they were back at this home in Luke chapter 10. It's a different story, but... At, at this story, Jesus comes and Lazarus, Mary, Martha are there. And you remember the story? Martha's serving. She's making the food, right? She's cooking up all the food. And what does she do? She begins to complain about Mary, right? She begins to complain. Jesus, man, I'm doing all the work here. Look at Mary's just hanging up at your feet, right? She, she, why don't you tell her to come help me? Right? This, let's share the labor a little bit. She's complaining. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you're so distracted by your serving. Okay? What Mary's doing is a, is a good thing by sitting at my feet. It's a, it's a good practice of sitting. At, she's abiding with me. You know, I don't think Jesus was upset with Martha's service. As he, as he was reminding her, don't forget to sit also, okay? There's a balancing in our serving and our sitting. In fact, we should be serving out of our sitting. That's why it says that if we abide or we sit with Jesus, we have time with Jesus, we'll bear much fruit, it says. Sometimes we're running around doing stuff and we have to sat at the feet of Jesus and let him pour into us and he'll give us what we need, the resources, the strength, the time, the energy. And our, our work would actually be lighter if we abide in him. It's almost a paradox. I want you to sit so you could have more and do more. All of us are rushing around and we're doing it on our own strength to sit. God letting us sit. And then he produces because we're just the branches. He's the vine. We don't produce fruit. He does through us. And so we see the working going on here. There's a balancing going on. But oftentimes, Martha gets the bad rap as the one who's just always busy, right? But I want to take you back again to Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Very interesting. I caught me this. I shared with some of this to the sisters last week. In verse 39, it says, she, referring to Martha, had a sister called 
Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. So what that tells me is that Martha and Mary both sat at Jesus' feet. They both had that practice. It's just sometimes we, we don't see that in, in the text. We always just like, well, Martha's the busy one and Mary's the spiritual one, right? She's serving and she's spiritual. And sometimes we equate that by, you know, these things. And we think like, that's we're just monks. But both practice, right? We're going to see that in more thing. But in chapter 12, Martha's serving again but she's not complaining. You don't see her complaining. She's matured in her service. She's matured in, in those types of things that she's doing. Her serving is coming out of her, their abiding. And verse two says, there they made him a supper. I love that. They, plural. Who's they? Probably Mary and Martha prepared the meal. They, they're preparing the meal there. So you even see Mary in her serving aspects more, and sometimes you see her in her sitting aspect, right? They were doing the meals together. They're contributing together. Guys, last week I challenged you, some of you, I said, would you be interested in helping the food ministry in the sense of preparing meals for Sunday? And thank you for signing up for all that signed up so we can put together teams to prepare meals for after church on Sunday. We're going to have a meal, a day and his wife and them are preparing a meal that they prepare in Africa. So I want to challenge you to stay and have some after church because they're, they're pouring out their salves out to prepare this meal. You can taste the flavors from another country. Don't go run off. Go get blessed, right? Have community, the table. Sit at the table and fellowship with one another. You'll never learn and build friendships and relationships if you're running outside these doors. You'll never, you'll miss the blessings. You might even miss the healing. You might even miss the word. You might even miss the connection that you need if you run out these doors. Stay and eat and break some bread together and see what God does. But we are all called to serve. If this is your house of worship, if this is what you call your family, how have you committed to serve in this family? Okay. Some of us have been here a while, but what role do you have in serving and giving back? Serving out of the blessings that God has given you, right? Because it's only our reasonable response to the work that God's done us. It's a reasonable act of service in light of what Christ has done. Because Jesus said, for the greatest is the kingdom, is a servant. See, not everyone could be famous, but everybody could be great because the greatest in the kingdom is a servant. That's the economy of God. So we see Martha and her serving in her labor, but we also see Mary giving thanks through her acts of honor, right? This is her worship. Not that Martha didn't do this, but the, John is writing about specific about each of their roles in serving in this family. And serving. Guys, you have families. Think about your own family. Think about your own home, right? If you're, you're married and you're, you have kids, and we've taught our kids, they had a role in the family. They had a role um, serving. They had a role like, you know, well, you know, sometimes we, we give money for chores. We really never did that very often because what we said to them is, you're part of this family. You're contributing to the family. Mom might cook. You might clean. You live here. You pick up. Now, I'm not saying that we didn't give them money to go when they earned things. We taught them how to have a work ethic. But we also taught them that you had a role in the family. You had a place in the family. You have to contribute to the family, right? If you're a part of this family, you have a role and a place and responsibility to do the same thing. And you each are gifted in the same way. 
When we started the Church of New Vision out of our backyard in 2008, I didn't have a Franklin. I didn't have a lot. You know who, who led worship my first Sunday? My 12-year-old son led worship with his guitar in my backyard. He's the one that did it. He's the one that I told him, you have a role here. God's gifted you, and he did that, and he played. I said, just give me three songs. <laughs> and he did. He brought his little blue guitar out, his acoustic, and he played it. And he led the whole adults at 12 years old, who when he went on later, he was doing worship at 17 years old. He's now in L.A., but he lived he used to worship at our church at 17 years old when we were on park, leading worships all over because he started when he was 12. So we have this, but look at the Mary here, getting back to the text. Mary is giving thanks for acts of honor. Look at three. Then Mary took a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with a fragrance of oil. First of all, she honored him in her humility. In her humility. Just a willingness to kneel before Jesus. We find her at the feet of Jesus. Guys, it's not uncommon for guests came to the house because they wore sandals to wash their feet. It, that, that, that was a, a cultural practice when people came in. They used to have a water boy basin there and they have towels and people used to wash the people's feet. That's why Jesus in the Lord's Supper washed the disciples' feet because it was common. It's, it's a humility thing. It's a humbleness thing. And it's not uncommon for them to anoint the head when they came in. That was a, a practice when people, when people came in to that but it's humble because the ones who did it were usually the slaves. The ones who did it weren't the owners of the house, but usually the servants that came and did this work. But we find her honoring him as a gift by washing his feet. Humility is, is not a weakness. Humility is actually a strength. Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted, right? James and Peter quoting Proverbs 3.34 said, God resists the proud, but be grace to the humble, we are saved by grace through faith, for it is a gift of God. It is a, it's an act of humility. We walk in humility, right? She's on her knees, humble before a king. I think Job got it right. Because we will enter the kingdom on bended knee. And Job said he will save the humble person. He reminds us of that. So she showed great humility and devotion by just bowing for that. But we also see not only her humility, we also see her generosity. Her generosity, right? She took costly oil, it says costly oil, and broke it. It was part of her dowry. It was part of her investment. It was part of what she had. And, 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 and she anointed Jesus. A pound of oil... The Bible says here in verse here, later in the verse says it was, she, Judas called it 300 denarii, right? 300 denarii. It was a year's wages. Some equivalent it to about $10,000. That in one moment, she busted up her oil and poured it on Jesus' feet. And she just invested $10,000 into Jesus. Think about that for a moment there. Her, her retirement, her, her whatever it was, right? but she was compelled to do so. She wasn't asked to do it. She wasn't manipulated to do it. She wasn't required to do it. There wasn't somebody on the Jerusalem or Bethany TV saying, if you only give a little bit, you will get annoyed. Put your money into this and I'll give you a piece of the cross. 
Or if you give this amount of money, your breakthrough is coming if you give me this amount of money. Jesus never did that. She freely gave it because she was compelled by love to invest everything she had at the feet of Jesus. Because at the feet of Jesus, God will multiply everything. At the feet of Jesus, God will take our meager stuff and make it more because that's what we do. That's what she's doing, right? It was a gift. It was something she gave. Guys, we challenge you to give here, and you don't hear us every Sunday, but we, we, we pray that you're giving of your tithes and your offerings and your giftings here. There's, a, there's an offering box in the back, right? We don't pressure you. We don't tell you. You, you probably never even heard it until today, Right? But God requires us to give and requires us to give of our tithes because he says, look it, I'm asking you to invest 10% of your money into the kingdom. I gave it all. We get that tithe and offerings out of the Old Testament, but if you really look at the giving in the New Testament, it's not a 10%. It's actually all of it. But it's even not your money. It's just your life. You give me all your life and I'll get your service. I'll get your worship. I'll get your money. I'll get your family. I'll get your home. I'll get everything because it's his on loan to us, and we're stewards of what he's given us so that we can see the kingdom move forward. That's really what this is all about. If we keep it simplistic like that, then we get away from all the, all the church wants is our money. <laughs> and that's exactly what Judas is going to do in a moment. Right? We're going to see that in a, in a moment. We ought to be generous people. Generous with our time, our talents, our treasure, because when we do that, it's a sign of trust. It's a sign of faith. Because she gave all that she had because she trusted Jesus, right? So we saw her humility. We saw her generosity. And then we see her worship, right? She wiped her feet with her hair. Mm, I want you to see, it says in the scripture, she let down her hair. Now, Matthew says that when they came in, she, they poured the oil on his head, Matthew chapter 26. I don't see a conflict here. It says his feet because I really believe what happens, they poured it on his head and went down his body onto his feet. He covered it, right? It, it was poured on him. We see that visualized in the Old Testament when they did with the priest. They poured it on and went down the beard of the Aaron's beard on the oil went down. It flowed. And then she, Mary, sitting at the feet undid her hair, right? In that culture, to loosen hair means you had to loose morals. It was uncommon for Jewish women to, to let down her hair, but she didn't care what others thought. She was going to worship Jesus by wiping his feet with her hair. Come on, come on. In 2 Samuel, we read a story about King David. He gets the Ark of the Covenant, right? For those right over the Ark, Raiders are art fans, right? The Ark of the, that's what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? Raiders Lost Ark movies. He gets the covenant and he brings it into Jerusalem. He brings it into Zion. He brings it in, right? And he comes in and he's just dancing. David's dancing in the streets, bringing the Ark because the presence of God is now in the city of God, in the city of truth. It's, and he's, he's not only dancing, people, he's tearing off his clothes. Like he's throwing off, dancing, like, woo, there goes the shirt. All the way down to his loins, like he's got it, like, I don't know if it's a Speedo or what, but he's like dancing and singing and dancing and throwing up. Well, while all this is going on, his wife, Micah, is watching. And, and she's, she actually gets disgusted by it. And, and they have a conversation, right? They have a conversation like, 
dude, what are you doing, man? You ought to be embarrassed and ashamed of yourself. I'm disgusted by what you're doing. That was her response. And I love David's words to her. He goes, I will be even more undignified than this, and I will be humbled in my own sight. I love the New Living Translation. says, yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. He didn't, David, because of the present, didn't care what people thought when he worshiped God. He didn't care. Some of you get on your knees and worship here. Some of you stand up. Some of you dance. I've seen it all. I've seen you cry out. I've seen it. God is blessed by that. That's an expression of our worship. We can't be afraid of that. Man, I watched the Padre game last night for those who watched the Padre game. People were doing all their makeup. People were flipping their hats sideways. People were dancing in the streets, holding banners. They're not ashamed to, to root on an idol of a sense of Padres. But we come to church all like. Jesus had a greater victory than the Padres last night. All right? Jesus had a greater victory at the cross, and we're holding back like we can't worship, like we are victorious. Let's, let's not be unashamed in our worship. But our worship is to be taken outside, too. All right? This is the huddle here where God encourages and blesses us to take it out to the streets. We'll see that in a minute here. You know what happened to Micah because of her words? And I think this came from her woundedness because she was in another relationship when she became the wife and she was upset that she came after, after David. Sometimes our woundedness will affect our relationships and our marriages with our kids, our brokenness, and God wants to heal those things in us. He wants to touch us with that. And she, because of this, rebuke could, her womb, be, she became barren. You can go back and read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 2, right? For some of you that are here and you're new to the church, and you're like, well, this is weird, raising hands. <laughs> I remember when I first went to a camp, I wasn't saved, and we were at a camp, and they're having an open campfire, and they're singing songs like we sang, and they're teaching the words, and kids are raising their hand. I'm like, whoa, this is strange. Like, is this like the Lord of the Flies or something? <laughs> like, because I didn't know, I didn't understand, I didn't know what this all meant because I didn't know God. So some of you might be here saying, when well, these crazy people out here raising their hands and singing to the top of their lungs and hearing the word and they're sitting an hour to listen to Pastor Pete, man, I can barely handle watching 10 minutes of anybody talking. But that's what the Spirit does. That's how he works, right? But her act of worship, Mary's act of worship, left a sweet aroma in that room. Something happened super deep. It says the, the oil, right? The sweet aroma lasted a while. I couldn't imagine it probably lasted a while in Mary's hair. Maybe that was a reminder of her worship to Jesus, right? The, the, the Roma left a, a left a, left a long-lasting memory. Even even in John, who's wrote this book, he's he was there and he saw what happened. Now he's writing about man. This I gotta write about this story, right? I gotta recall this story. It had an impact on John's life. That's why he's writing it. Listen, my life. I don't just want to be influential. I don't want to be impactful, right? Mary made an impact on those in the room, an impression, and she left a mark on John, and she left a, a mark on them. I hope that our lives are leaving marks on people. Not because you got beat up by a belt, but because you're loved on by the people. That there was a mark of love, an impression made. Matthew writes, I say to you, whoever, wherever the gospel is preached in the world, 
what this woman has done will be told as memorial to her. It was so powerful that God wrote it in the scriptures that all the world will hear about this story, this act of worship. She was memorialized. And so we see this dinner party. But you know, at every party, there's always a guy that brings it down. <laughs> right? There's always a right? So this evening, this dinner party, an evening exposes Judas's darkness. We see that in 4, four through 7. Love will always outshine hate. I just want you to tell that. Love will always outshine hate. And I'm sure at this moment, love stirred the hate in Judas's heart. Light is shining in the dark. Shining so bright is troubling him. Her light troubled his darkness. In fact, John 1.5, John writes the beginning of the gospel, says this, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Right? We find Judas in the story. Though the other disciples were there, we find Judas in the story specifically because it mentions Judas. And it says, Judas, the disciple. Look at verse 4. And one of his disciples, Judas is here, Simon, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, hmm. Judas was called a disciple. He was Jesus' disciple. A disciple is a student or a pupil or a follower of Jesus. Right? Now, Judas, we don't really know much about Judas. If you, if you study him, you don't even know where he came from. He just came out of nowhere to be a, a disciple. But Scripture gives us some clues. And I, there's going to be some, I'm going to challenge you on some theology right here in a moment. John in John 17, 12 calls him the son of perdition, right? Paul identifies Satan as the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Jesus called Judas the devil. He said, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, for he was who betrayed him and being one of the 12, John 6, 70 and 71. I want you to ponder in a moment, think for a moment, was Satan found among the disciples or among the 12? Jesus knew that because that's why he, in 664, he says, I know who it is, right? But I find it is interesting that Judas, the disciple, the son of Simon. Oh, can you imagine dad's heart in that family? The, this is my black sheep. This is my mark. Dad, this is my legacy, a betrayer of Jesus. This is, I, 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 I think of all the massacres we've seen. I think of Columbine High School many, many years ago and the mother of those two young boys that had to experience that in the media and all that went on and the pain and anguish. But God writes, he's Simon's son. What, what would you do if one of you, what if you were, when your kid did something so atrocious that was all over the media and everybody saw it? How broken would you have felt? How painful would that have been? But for some reason, John Rice, he's the son of Simon. But more than that, could you be a disciple? and fall short, be called a disciple and fall short and fall away. John 6, 66, remember when Jesus does the feeding of the 5,000, he talks about being the bread of life and he calls people to the carpet and he gives them these hard teachings. I notice it's 666, John 666. For from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Wow. Well, you know, I've been in the ministry four years and I've seen people come and go even in this church over the last 14 years, I've seen people come and go. And it's sad, it breaks my heart that 
where are you going to be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years since I was 17 years old when I met him, walking with Jesus. My challenge to you is how are you growing in a way that you're going to be in the game with Jesus when you're in 60s and 70s and 80s, when you received him in your teens and your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, whatever it is? Are you going to be in the game? Are you going to be able to be like Caleb and, and, jo and jo the book of Joshua was 85 years old and said, man, I feel like I'm 40. Joshua, give me the land. I'm going to take it. Like, I still got work to do at 85 years old. Seniors, don't underestimate your role in the body and the kingdom and the work because you are the wisdom of the church. You have a role in the church. You're to pour into the younger. Older women pour into the younger women. You have influence and you have wisdom that we need to learn from. And we see, we see that here. In Acts 8, there was a Simon the Sorcerer, right? If you read the story in Acts 8, right? The gospel is being treated. He's hearing any, and it says that he believed and was baptized. He went through the whole ceremony of the church. And then when the Holy Spirit came on, it was like, whoa, came on the people and they were doing miracles and doing that. And all of a sudden he comes to Peter and said, dude, the Holy Spirit pulls out his wallet, pulls out cash. How can I buy that? How can I buy the Holy Spirit? What? Like, you know, like, like the Holy Spirit is a commodity. Like, and Peter got like, dude, get me, I rebuke you, you're going to die. He's like, he's like, well, please have mercy on me, right? Have mercy on me. You know what I mean? That you could, the, 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 the salvation process is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a true miracle when God changes the heart of people. It's, it's, we, though we might have processes and traditions of baptism and Different things come to the altar. Those are processes to, to help you receive Christ, but those things don't save you. I can dunk you in water today. Doesn't mean you, you, you could come out of the water not transformed. Come on, come on. Only the Spirit can transform you. Only God in you can transform you. Only the work of God can transform you supernaturally. Hallelujah. And so I want to challenge you. And that's where God heals you today. But we see Judas's character, right? Why was this fragrant, verse 5, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said that not he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Oh. Judas is opposing Mary at the dinner party. He's bringing the party down. They're celebrating. The party. And then he's like, dude, what are you doing? We could have taken this money and given it to the poor. I don't think Judas could handle Mary's love and loyalty to Jesus. And he cloaks his objection with a worthy cause. We could have helped the poor. We could have given to the needy. We could have get a sack lunch to the man on the side of the street saying we'll work for food. The beggar on the street. We, we, could, we, we could have had the resource. $10,000 will go a long way to help the poor. Outwardly, he looked like a moral person. Inwardly, he was full of deceit. Man, he's complaining, why you spend $10,000, 300 denarii, $10,000, when he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver equivalent to $120. Come on, Judas. Right? But I don't, I, we all get on Judas, but Mark gives a little bit more details. Look at this. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Were the other disciples joining in with the same words of Judas? Even, even, you could see even their darkness a little bit. You could even see, guys, we could have a little Judas in us. 
We could have a little self-motive, selfness in us. We could have that in us. We could have some dark things that God needs to work in us. Don't be, don't be think you're all that in a bag of chips. I, I have my moments of darkness. Just ask my wife. My wife knows me the best. I have those moments when my tongue slips. I have those moments when I'm, uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. When my kids were born fathers, I know you don't agree with this. Those are fathers. When, when your baby, when your, your wives have babies and your kids are small, look at my, my car, I was like this. And it's the middle of the night, right? And the baby starts crying and you act like you don't hear it and you're sleeping. <laughs> Wife will get it. I can't help that one. And I'm going to still stay asleep, right? That's, that's our selfish nature in us. When we should get up and serve, but we want to sleep, right? When in the church, we should get up and serve, but we still want to sleep. Okay. We have that in us, right? In fact, the word here, wasted, means to destructive, perish, eternal misery and health. Like what he was saying too to Judas is, Judas, you're wasting your life. It's, your life is a waste, right? God's not calling us to waste our life. And Judas' reason for his irritation was the response for Mary's action. Judas didn't really care for the poor. He was embezzling money from the ministry and from Jesus. The word, he says, he's taking money, it says. The word take, he continued. It was a habitual problem is what he had in taking the money. John 8 goes all the way back about the women who supported Jesus in the ministry. They were taking the money from the women that he had given to help the ministry to expand the kingdom. Maybe John wasn't aware of it at that time, but he writes about it later. He becomes aware of it, right? Sin was revealed and brought to the light. Our mess will be brought to the light. God will expose that. And Jesus rebuked him. Judas, verse 7, let her alone. She kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have always, but may you not but you, but me, you do not have always. Ah, Jesus protecting Mary, defending her rights. Jesus is the righteous judge, affirming Mary's action and rebuking Judas' criticism. You know what? Even when we serve and we worship, we'll be criticized and judged for our love for Jesus. And yet Jesus will be our defender. In fact, we're even called to love the loveless. Jesus knew exactly who Judas was, and he still offered him communion. He still had him at the table. In fact, we are called to bless them. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we respond. And then Jesus explains his action. She's preparing for my burial. He's six days away from being to the cross. She has stirred up all this money for this very day. Her sacrificial gift for the one who has sacrificed his life. This is a good thing. I don't think he's just speaking to Judas. He's speaking to everybody at that dinner party at this point. They have his attention. You know, I find it interesting that the other Marys were at the tomb of Jesus, but this Mary wasn't. Why? Because she already knew that Jesus was going to resurrect. She had that in her heart. She saw it in her brother. She believed it, so she didn't need to go to the tomb where the other ones did. I find that, that we have that same hope. We have that same there. But what Jesus is doing to Judas and the, the men of Mender there is he wasn't, he, was, he, he wasn't disagreeing with not giving to the poor. 
We have mandates to give to the poor, right? He just is trying to prioritize their ministry, right? We have been mandated to care and, and serve the poor. In fact, he commands us to labor to help subsidize the needs of the poor in Ephesians 4, 28. We're called to help the least of these. But we're also to discern who we're to help. We don't just give to anybody. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians that you give to the house of God first. It gives order to things, but also discern it, right? Because if you don't work, you don't eat. So there's an order to things. He gives order to how who we help, right? He said to start seven people full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6 to serve the widows who were fighting in the food line. And he set them apart because I need you to set these servants aside. Why? So those that are the pastors can still stay connected to prayer and preaching. So I can't get them so busy that they got away from that and they're doing all the service. So he raised up leaders in the church so they can go do the work while we can still stay on the things we're called to stay. We're not distracted by it, right? What, he, what Jesus was saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus first always. We focus that and then the ministry will grow. And as, as I begin to close this morning, an, an evening was interrupted by seekers. <laughs> I, I think this is our witnessing moment. I think people are seeking many things today. They're seeking peace, seeking hope, seeking purpose, seeking healing. And they're looking and want answers for all our ills today. We've been through a whole craziness for the last three years. But they look in the strangest places. Some look to the stars to find answers. Some look to tarot cards. Some look to crystals. Some to counselors and even religious leaders. And we find seekers here in the story. They came seeking the truth about what they heard about Lazarus. And when you are truly seeking truth, you will find it. Proverbs says, I, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Proverbs 8, 17. And so Jews came seeking the truth about Lazarus. Look at verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see, see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Many people heard about Lazarus' resurrection by the hands of Jesus, specifically the Jews. And so they came to see, though they wanted to, they came to see Jesus, but they really wanted to see Lazarus. Lazarus was the main attraction at this point. That's what's drawn. Could this be possible? They were seeking. We heard that this is what happened, but could it possibly be happen? Right? Could this really be? We have seekers today around us. Next week, I'm going to take a break from John and teach you how to witness to your friends. Because I feel like there's neighbors. You know what? People outside these doors, they don't have a hard time with Jesus. Sometimes they have a hard time with the church. There's people that want to hear. They're willing to listen if you're willing to share. And, and, and the reality here is they came and they wanted to see Jesus. Look at our lives are on display for our witnessing. People are watching us. Did Lazarus really resurrect? Is this really? And they saw the resurrected Lazarus. You know what? People are amazed and blown away by your past. They knew you from your past and how what God's done in your life, how God has transformed you. Many, many, many years ago, I had a friend named Doug Harvey, friend of mine. I, I did ministry with him. He came out of prison. He had done prison time for 30 years. He came out, got saved. I met him at the San Diego Rescue Mission. He was working there as I was the pastor there. And we became really, really good friends. And when he left the rescue mission, he became a manager of the Plaza Hotel. At the Plaza Hotel, which is a low, low-income SRO hotel, every 
dark person was crazy. People were living there, drug addicts, drug dealer, pimps, everything you could imagine was in that place. But he opened up the door for us to go do ministry in that hotel. We used to bring food and we used to preach the gospel. We used to, we'd do this in the lobby of the hotel. And he would be the manager, though his job was the manager of that hotel, he had a higher kingdom purpose to serve Jesus at that hotel. And he would let the church come in and minister to the people in the hotel. They saw the radical change in his life. And when he died of cancer, I was there when he died of cancer. I did his memorial service. It was about 11, 12 years ago, maybe longer now. His legacy still remains because after he left, the owner, John, was a Jew who came to faith because of Doug. And he came to me and says, Pastor Pete, I know Doug is gone, but you keep doing the work here. Because of the life of Doug and his witnessing and he saw the transformation, Doug passed, but the work and labor kept going for many, many years. They closed the plaza now. Now it's coming a five-star thing. They shut it all down. But, but the reality is the legacy of a man bearing witness. Mm. But there were other Jews that came seeking to cover up the truth about Lazarus, right? As we close. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. They had planned to kill Jesus. Now they're planning to kill Lazarus. We, these were, these were, these were uh, Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So now they have a theological problem because Lazarus' resurrection proved that there's a life after that there is a resurrection and they had a theological problem. And now they had to get rid of that theological problem. And so they want to cover up to kill Lazarus because they had to get rid of the, of the proof that there's a resurrection. So let's kill Jesus and let's kill Lazarus. When people can't handle the truth, they can't handle the truth of the gospel. They want to do something to erase the gospel, but you can't erase the gospel. You can't erase change lives. And so... Because of it, there was a great fallout, and many believed. Many left and became completed Jews, Jews for Jesus, and many came to, to the faith because of the witness of Lazarus. And many will come to faith because of your witness of your resurrected life. So I close with these three thoughts, guys, as the worship team comes forward, and we have communion this morning. Number one, we are called to humbly worship God in our service, right? This is our family. We learned this from, and starting in our homes, we must start that. Two, we are the light to expose the darkness of others. That's what Mary's work did in light of Judas. And we are displayed to the world to see if we are authentic believers. Is it really real? Did your life really change? I hope they say yes. Let's pray. Father heaven, thank you again for the day. Thank you for your love and blessings, for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord, this morning. We pray your hand upon our service and the people here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.